0: Alright, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Everybody doing alright? Yeah. Yep, everybody good? Ladies, we're so thankful for you. Moms especially, we're so grateful for you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you do. We've got a special moment at the end of the service that we're going to honor you and all of those things. But I want to say it from my, my mouth to, to your heart. We love you and we value you so much. So grateful for you. Alright, we're going to continue our series in a captive life. And so if everybody would stand, if you're willing and able, would you stand and honor the reading of God's word? If you're willing and able, we're going to be in Colossians 1, 21 through 23 this morning. It'll be on your screen. You'll be able to read along with me. This is the word of the Lord. This is Paul writing. He's writing to Christians, and here's what he says. He says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith Stable and steadfast Not shifting from the hope of the gospel That you've heard Which has been proclaimed in all of creation Under heaven and of which I, Paul Became a minister You may be seated Have you ever heard of the, the game He said, she said Y'all experience that? It happens a lot in our home um, There's a lot of that uh, Well he said this, she said that well, I said this, I said that. And oftentimes, Lane and Drew have to get mom and dad at the table and say, mom and dad, y'all got to stop this. This whole he said, she said thing. Um, he said, she said. We get, we, get, we get caught in that a lot, don't we? This idea of he said, she said. That, that's what's happening in the church of Colossae. In the Colossian church, there's been a heresy that has entered into the church. That's why Paul's writing this book is to counteract this heresy that's pervading into the the Colossian church, and so Paul's writing, and he's kind of heading on that heresy, and he says, "Hey, listen! It doesn't matter what he said, doesn't matter what she said, doesn't matter what Jill said or Johnny said or what anybody said. What matters is what's true. That's what, that's what matters. Is what Paul's writing. That's what he's arguing in the book of Colossians, and that's what he's arguing today: is what is true." I don't know if you knew this or not, but if you were to track with church history, you would would find that there's something kind of interesting. There's a trend that heresy, more often than not, did not come from outside of the church, but actually came from within the church. I don't know if you knew that or not. Paul even warns us of that in Acts chapter 20. Paul's writing to the Ephesian elders, and here's what he says in Acts 20, verses 28 and 29. Note this. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves... And to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then he answers the question, why? Why should I pay attention? Why do I take care? Why am I doing this? Here's what Paul says. For I know fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. But you to remember, Paul's making a unique point here. He's reminding them that heresy doesn't always come from outside of the church, but all too often it comes from within the church. He says, Fierce wolves are coming, but not only are fierce wolves coming, but also people among you are gonna arise and they're gonna lead people astray, astray from the truth. And so, what Paul's doing here is he is hitting this head on and he wants you to see what is true. You know, Matt did a great job preaching, if you were here last week, Hollingsworth did a great job preaching uh, the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ. The reason why Paul was writing that is because part of the heresy that's happening in the Colossian church is that people are teaching uh, that Christ doesn't need to be the priority of your life. In fact, they're even diminishing the work of the cross for salvation. It's really, really interesting what's happening in the church of, uh, in Col- Colossae. Again, they're teaching that salvation is either gained or sustained by adhering to rules or regulations. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? This idea, this teaching that salvation or God's favor is, a, is achieved by what we do for God and that that favor is sustained by what we do for God, our performance before God. See, what's happening in the church of Colossae is this thing that we've called legalism. It's this idea, it's this pervading the church that, that says that salvation or God's favor is either gained or it's sustained by adhering to rules or regulations, maybe even good things that we've elevated to make ultimate things that, quite frankly, are extra-biblical. It's an important word, extra Biblical. You know, the late R.C. Sproul helps us kind of parse out what is legalism. When we talk about legalism, what are we talking about? Well, he does a good job. He has three kind of ways he looks at that. Number one, he says that legalism is focusing on God's laws more than a relationship with God. I know nobody's guilty of that in the room, right? Focusing on God's laws more than a relationship with God. The, the legalist is one who focuses on obeying the rules forgetting the broader context of God's redemption and love. The second one would be legalism is keeping laws without a truly submitted heart. It's like paying lip service. Yeah, it's, here's these rules, here's, here's these regulations, and we pay lip service to those, but at the end of the day, on the inside, the heart is actually far from God. It's setting expectations for others to, to follow, or even for yourself to follow, yet you know deep within that your heart is far from God. The third perspective that Sproul gives to us, he says that legalism is turning from human traditions or turning human traditions into divine laws. It's to be like taking a tradition or an idea from scripture. Again, we're elevating it to a place where it becomes what we call extra biblical. Now, if I think we could be honest this morning, right? I think this is a safe place. As Christians, we have been guilty of this, haven't we? We've taken an idea, maybe it's an idea that we grew up with. Maybe it's something that, that we read in Scripture and, and we've taken it out of context. We've, at, we've made it to mean something that it doesn't. We elevate it to a place where it doesn't belong and then we expect ourselves and others to live up to that. And when they don't, there's this thing that we do where we self-justify ourselves, but we judge everybody else. And sadly, sadly the church is more often known for what we're against than what we're actually for. And what Paul is doing here is he's reminding us, he's teaching the truth of of what's actually true. And that's exactly what he does in this this particular text. In verse 21, he says, okay, listen, here's what's actually true. He says, you, again, speaking of Christians, this is important, speaking of Christians, he says, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What Paul is saying here is that at one time, all of the people in this room who have given their lives to following Jesus, all of us, not a few of us, all of us were aliens we were strangers It's important to note when we start talking about the word alien it's not what you might think right it's not uh these these guys running around with a big head big eyes and green suits right that's not what we're talking about when we use the word alien what we're talking about is a stranger it means to be a foreigner you know a couple years ago Hollingsworth and I had a great opportunity to, to take a group of you guys to Taiwan and man it was an awesome trip Todd Blackhurst is the missionary there, and he's doing incredible things. And, and Todd sent us all the stuff that we needed to know before we got there. We studied their language, we studied their culture, we studied uh, their food, we studied everything that there was to know about the people of Taiwan. And, and to be honest, I felt like we were pretty prepared. Matt, did you feel like you were prepared? I felt like we were prepared. And then we showed up to Taiwan, and we got off that airplane. And I realized all these signs are in a different language. I don't know if you know that or not, but all of the signs are not in English. If I didn't have a map, if I didn't have a translator, I'd have been lost. We were foreigners, we were strangers in a foreign land. And that's what Paul is saying here when he says that prior to Christ, he says that we were strangers. We were aliens to God and his word. In fact, Paul would even say that we were hostile. We were hostile to God and to his word and to his kingdom. You and me, we were hostile. We were strangers. We were cut off. We were not a part of the family of God. So Paul reminds the church that that's where you were prior to Christ. And listen, this is the reason why you and I, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus this morning, that's the reason why we're dumbfounded when we look at culture. We look at culture and we think these people are crazy like what's happening what's going on in the world today we think that and we're dumbfounded by all of it and it's because by our very foundation by who we are as the people of God once aliens once strangers once foreigners adopted into the family of God we are now sons and we are daughters we no longer live uh, for this this world but we live for the one to come Because of that, we see the world drastically different. One author said, Chuck Colson said, that that by our accepting of Jesus, our entire worldview has completely shifted. By worldview, what we're talking about is the way that we see the world, the way we perceive it, the way that it came into being, the way that it's going to be restored. All of these things, our worldview is completely and totally different. It reminds me, that when I come to Jesus and I give my life to Him, like these folks have just done, when I give my life to Him, He gives me the gift of His Holy Spirit, and His Spirit begins renovating my heart from the inside out, and I become a different person. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says that you are no longer uh, defined by your old self, but you're divine. You're defined by your new self, for you are a new creation. You see the world completely and totally different. Now that's why to our unbelieving friends, maybe our relatives, our relationships can only go so deep. It's because fundamentally we see the world from a different perspective. We see it from God's eyes versus human eyes. So while we may speak the same language, while we may look very similar, gosh, we may even have the same bloodline. At the end of the day, we have been reborn. Reborn what Jesus says is that when you give your life to him that you are born again you're born again into a new life to a new perspective Paul would say in Romans 12 that he has been he is transforming your mind right that there's this renewing of your mind renewing of your eyes renewing of your passions renewing of all of who you are is being renewed that's what Paul is saying and so that's why we are so different now Paul also says that prior to Christ we were hostile tough word we were hostile in mind doing evil deeds it's like having blinders on when we confuse the truth with error leading us to make terrible decisions and sometimes even thinking that those are right and good maybe an example of that would be like you know Paul prior to his conversion was known as Saul in our house we call him Saul the stinker that was before his conversion. This is Saul the stinker, right? And if Saul the stinker showed up here and we were having a conversation with, with Paul the stinker and somebody said, hey, Paul, why in the world were you persecuting Jesus? Why were you persecuting the Christians? You know what I think Paul would say? I think he would say out of righteousness because I believed it to be for the common good. See, Paul was, Paul's perspective at that point would be, well, well there's this movement of, of people who are, or gaining power and gaining authority and they're threatening the traditions that I grew up in. They're threatening the, the Pentateuch and the things that I have memorized and given my whole life to study. They're th- ultimately threatening what I believe to be true of God. And so I think Paul would say, yeah, I, I felt righteous. I felt I was doing that out of the common good. And I'll tell you this morning that people who are outside of Christ, what they're doing, they're doing out of the blindness of the spiritual eyes that, quite frankly, they don't have. The things that they're doing, they believe to be common good. That's why they're willing to go to the Capitol and to fight for these things that you and I might think are crazy, but to them, make all the sense in the world because they're blinded. They're blinded. They have not been given the Spirit. The Spirit has not opened their eyes to see the truth. And so they're blinded. Now, Paul says... Here in this text, he says, Paul, or Paul says that Jesus, that through through Jesus, God has changed all of that. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? It's not that he is the way to truth, he is the truth. So he provides the way to truth, but he also is the truth. In Jesus, he has given us a way out, he's given us a different perspective. In fact, Paul says here he says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you you and me in the room holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Notice here that Paul uses the word reconciled. In our English language we read that and we see it as past tense. But in the original language here's something kind of cool. It's present active tense. So it's past tense in the fact that Jesus came to this earth, he lived a life that you and I could not live, he died the death that you and I deserve. And on the third day, rose again, walked out of an empty tomb, so you and I could walk out of that empty tomb alongside of him. And in that moment, when you have said yes to him, you were reconciled. You've been reconciled. That's past tense. Reconciled. But by him giving you the gift of his spirit, here's what's happening in you. You are being reconciled. So you have been reconciled on the day that you said yes to him. And from that day To the day that you see him face to face, he is reconciling you through the work of his spirit, making you look more more and more and more and more and more and more and more like Jesus so that on that day you will stand before him and you will be holy and blameless and above reproach. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying that the Christian life, as we give our hearts over to Jesus, begins as a total makeover in our lives a total makeover the Christian life is a total makeover how how many of you guys y'all remember that TV show total makeover yeah nobody's seriously y'all have not seen that so six of you still that's all okay total makeover well for all of you who um, are blinded by the light Um, there's a great TV show it's called Total Makeover great show uh, really sweet sweet show this team would come into a family and you know their, their home was in you know just shackles and just in bad shape desperately in need of renewal they would put the family up this team would come in and they would completely renovate the house Completely renovate this home. And then they would put, they'd bring the family back. They'd have this huge banner right in front of the house, blocking the house. And they'd pull that, that banner back. And man, it'd be this grand reveal, total makeover of the home. The home that they once knew has been drastically transformed on the outside. And then they would take them onto the inside. And man, you'd, get, you'd see the kids run into their rooms. And man, their rooms were awesome. And it's just this super sweet moment. Tears were shed. Joy was... The result beautiful beautiful moment well that's what paul is saying here when we give our lives fully over to jesus he begins a total makeover it's a total makeover he comes into our lives and he begins renovating us from the inside out by his death his burial his resurrection he gifts us again with the spirit who comes into our hearts begins cleaning up the house so to speak and arranging it in such a way that he may present us again on the last day is holy, blameless, above reproach before God. Now to be holy and blameless and above reproach, those are some strong words that Paul uses. Those all mean that you were now set apart. If you're a Christian in this room, you were set apart from the world. There's Christians and there's unchristians. There's nothing in between. You're either in or you're out. That's it. And what Paul is saying here is that to be above reproach, to be blameless, to be holy means that you are set apart from the rest of the world. It means that we have no longer, we're no longer defined by our past, our former decisions, our relationships, or the like, but we have received the words, hear this, fully renovated. Fully renovated. On the day that we gave our lives to Jesus, Paul is saying that he has presented us to the Father on the big reveal as fully renovated. How cool is that? That you and me, whose lives were in complete and total shambles apart from Christ, he comes into your life. He gives you the spirit and he begins to clean you up from the inside out. By the way, you know, we don't come to Christ in our perfection, we come to Christ in our imperfection and it's through him that he is making us perfect. That's the problem with legalism. Legalism demands perfection. Christ demands imperfection and says, hey, I'm gonna do what you can't do and I'm going to make you perfect. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you blameless. I'm going to make you above reproach. He's going to do in your life what you can't do. So on that last day, man, he's going to present you as holy, blameless, above reproach, totally renovated before him. Now, this is not to say, by the way, that, that we are perfect, but anybody in the room agree that you're, would you be so willing to raise your hand if, you, if you're perfect? I'd love to meet you. I would love to shake your hand. I, I would love to learn from you because, man, I tell you what, I think all of us would agree that we have a long way to go, don't we? Yes. If you don't have kids, it'll remind you, get married. It, it'll, it'll, it'll challenge you. We all in this room are far from per- perfect. We've got a long, 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 long way to go. We've got a lot of renovation to be done. But I'll tell you, here's what's cool. The work that Jesus is doing in your life the work that he's started in your life comes from a place of security. Here's what I mean by that. Paul, he makes this de- declarative statement, Philippians chapter one, verse six. Here's what Paul says. He says, the work that he began in you, he will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus. And so again, when you walk that aisle, when you said yes to Jesus, I'm giving my life to him, from that moment on, you're living in a place of security that the work that Jesus is doing in your imperfection comes from a place of security so that you don't have to sit and doubt am I saved you don't have to doubt that because God is working in you he's renovating your heart from the inside out he's working from a place of security now here's kind of the interesting thing in verse 23 Paul kind of makes a weird right turn Paul has a tendency to do that in verse 23 he he inserts an if clause so the reason why I I mentioned the security is because of what I'm about to say here in just a second. He has an if clause, and here's what he says. He says, You know that you have been reconciled if, you know you're a redneck if, just kidding, you know you've been reconciled if, indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says, in other words, we can know for sure that we are saved, if we continue in the gospel that we heard, the gospel in which we have believed, right? So, so salvation comes from hearing, hearing of the word, believing, and in the, the, the gospel in which we stand. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, you know that you have been reconciled and you know you're being reconciled when you're not shifting, running away from the gospel that you heard, the gospel that you believe, and the gospel that you stand. Now, okay, awesome, great. But could Paul also be using an if clause to ask the question, or to question our salvation? Could he be also saying, can we lose our salvation? That's probably a question, that's that's probably a discussion for another day, but here's what I'll tell you. If you read through the New Testament, Paul's letters in particular, what you're going to find is that the simple answer to that question is no. No, you can't. You would have to go against the entire New Testament to be able to arrive at a conclusion that you can lose your salvation. Paul is not saying that. But here's what Paul is saying. And I want you to hear me very clear, very, very, closely because this is important. Okay, are you ready? All saved people are saved people. Okay? All saved people are saved people. All saved people are saved people. Now, but no saved people fall away and shift to another gospel, okay? All saved people are saved people, but no saved people fall away and shift toward another gospel. Is that clear as mud? All saved people are saved people, but no saved people shift to a different gospel. They're not going to chase the naturalism that, that the culture is pleading with you to, to buy, which, by the way, is a religion it's a worldview, and it's pleading with you to buy into that nonsense rather than buying into the supernatural truth of the Bible and what God has revealed to us in His Word. All, right. All safe people are saved people, but no saved people fall away from the truth of God's Word in the gospel. It would be as Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, when He said, You honor me with your lips, but your heart... Is far from me It is though the outside of the house Was completely renovated But as one walks into the front door The inside of the house is still in shambles Jesus would go on to say That to live like this is To live as Hear this with grace A whitewashed tomb In Matthew 23 Verse 27 Jesus says Woe to you scribes and Pharisees You hypocrites For you are like whitewashed tombs Oh that's tough Jesus is all love and truth. He goes on to describe what it means by a whitewashed tomb. He says, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. The problem that Jesus is going after here is that the Pharisees had presented themselves as fully renovated. But if you were to walk into their home, you would see that the living room, the bedrooms, the backyard was in complete and total shambles. You would see that their lives were a mere facade that would say one thing, but their hearts would say another. This is where legalism finds its root It's to say that I'm one way To present myself one way But knowing deep inside I'm a totally different person See the danger is not that one might lose their salvation The danger is that we can present ourselves as renovated By living a life of legalism And yet never actually be renovated Wow. And here's what's scary. Most folks who are in that camp have no idea. No idea because, quite frankly, nobody's telling them. Our job as the church is to come along, brothers and sisters, and say, hey, maybe you missed it. Because if your life looks a whole lot like griping about everything, if you're completely and totally just miserable because of the standard that you place on your life and the standard that you're placing on everybody else's life and nobody can live up to your standard it may be because you've missed the standard and you didn't know it and that Jesus came and lived a life uh, that met that standard met God's standard which is far greater far higher far stricter than you can ever imagine dare to imagine and he lived that life for you So that you wouldn't live that life because you can't live that life. And then he gave you a spirit to begin renovating your heart so that you would love him, that you would love people. And it would be your love for him that would drive you to obey his law. See, that's the difference, right? There's a difference between me living a life trying to gain God's favor than living a life from God's favor. You see the difference As a child, as a son, as a daughter I I stand in the righteousness of Christ I don't have to stand in my filth and rags I don't have to stand in my mistakes And my bad decisions And I don't have to be defined by any of those things Because I stand in the righteousness of Christ Because of what he has done for me And because of that I recognize that I am a terrible person Deep down inside I'm a monster And we all are apart from Christ and it's when we start thinking that we've got it right, that we've got it figured out. That's the moment when we miss it. When we didn't show up to our own total makeover. And Christ is pleading with you and me for the unbeliever in the room, for somebody who has is, who, who is never given their life to Christ. He's pleading with you. He's saying, hey, listen, come to me. Find rest in me. You can run to all these other things, but you'll never find rest you'll never be satisfied, but come to me. I will satisfy you. I will renovate you, and I will continue to renovate you until the day you stand before your maker, and I will present you as holy and blameless and perfect and totally, totally remade. And then to you and to me in the room who, who have given their lives to Christ, he's saying, hey, listen, I'm still, rem- I'm still making you. I'm still transforming you from the inside and out, but it's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. It's the heart that I care about. It's your heart. Listen, I love this beautiful imagery that God gives us in the Bible as he reveals his, his story of redemption, as he takes your heart of stone and he gives you this heart of flesh that beats for him, that's soft and it's tender towards God and towards people. And it's through that soft, tender heart that he gives you that we're able to love him, that we're able to love people. And even when we don't understand them, we can still love them, not because of what they do, but because of who created them. And man, I'm telling you, if we wanna be a church that makes a difference in this world, and I sure hope we do, I don't want us to be a sleepy church where we're content with just whatever. I mean, who wants that? You want to be a part of that? Who who wants to be a part of apathy? Boy, I sure hope not. I hope we would never settle for that. I hope that you and I would be a church who's on fire. It's on fire that God is at work in our hearts, and He's changing us, and He's moving us, and He's moving us to give of our lives. To give of our finances, to give of our time, to give of our treasure, to give of our gifts, all for his kingdom, to see people come to know Jesus. Listen, 18 people, that ought to be a minimum. That ought to be a minimum of what we ask and what we expect from God. Listen, we want people's lives to be totally remade. Well, your life to be totally remade. But listen, it's not gonna be remade when we sit on our pedestal, judging everyone for, for what they're not Misunderstanding us for who we are and not recognizing that it's Jesus. It's Jesus who transforms our life, who is the total makeover, who comes into our life and remakes us from the inside out. Oh, isn't that great? I love it. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. Oh, I thank you for grace. I thank you that you've come into my life and that you've transformed my heart. And you're transforming my heart. Lord, I don't want to be the same person I was yesterday that I am today or tomorrow. God, I want you to transform me. I want to look more and more like Jesus. I want to trust you more, Lord. It's hard to give of my finances. It's hard to give of my life. It's hard to give of my time. It's hard to give of my uh, effort at work. It's hard to give of all of these things, but Lord, I want to give all of them to you so that I don't have anything left but to say, Lord, use me. I trust you with all that I am and all that I have. Lord, I want to step across the line. I want to live in the deep end. Lord, I want you to use me. Lord, use us as a church. God, transform us from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you present us as a church, holy and blameless and above reproach before God and man, that people look at us and go, man, I, you know, I've had a bad experience with church, but I see these folks and I want to be a part of what they're doing. We spend our time judging people. We spend our time loving people. And we love them to the truth because that is true love. And we do it with grace and we do it with kindness and a soft and a gentle heart to say, come, come be remade. Come see the one who can transform our lives. Father, thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Listen, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love an opportunity to get to talk to you about how you can experience a total makeover. Because I'm telling you, a captive life requires a total makeover. I want you to be captive to Christ, but it begins there. This morning, if you're in the room and you're like, man, I just, golly, my heart is hardened and I need somebody to pray over me. Our team right out these doors at Connection Central would love to pray for you. They would love to encourage you and help you along that path. So please, don't don't wait for another Sunday. Because you know what? Procrastinate, we'll punt it. Don't punt it. Do it today. Make that decision today. Step across that line today, okay?